text for our meditation this evening as we gather around the table. Psalm 63, this is God's word given to us, his people, for our good. Let us attend to his reading. A psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Grass withers, flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. So we are told in the superscription of this psalm, that's the little part right before verse 1, that the occasion for this psalm is when he was in the desert in Judah. There are two stages of David's life, or or perhaps the, the two most famous ones that we know about where he was in the wilderness, where he was running from danger, and he found himself in the desert. The first one was, of course, before he was acting as king, when King Saul was pursuing him and trying to eliminate him. David was in the wilderness at that time. But this psalm reflects a little bit more of an awareness of David as the king of Israel, who is reigning as the king. So it is more likely that the occasion for this psalm is when David's own son, Absalom, was pursuing David, trying to kill him, trying to eliminate him and take the kingdom away from his father. Obviously an extremely distressing situation that David would have experienced. One of the things that you think about is you read the Psalms of David and again and again as he thinks of himself as the anointed one of God. And remember we've talked about that recently when language shows up in the Psalms like it does here at the end of the Psalm that's saying God is going to smite my enemies, God is going to protect me. That's not necessarily something we read and we think about it just only personally to us. David says those words as the anointed one of God, and no one on earth is to rise up against the Lord's anointed. We internalize that, and we have, for that, there's value for us as we consider it through Christ, who is the true anointed one of God, and we know all of the enemies of God one day will be defeated, they will be eliminated, and Christ's name will be exalted. But there's a lot of this language that David uses in the Psalms. God will crush my enemies. They will be as 
food for jackals. And that highlights just how difficult the situation with Absalom, his son, would have been. Here's his own son rising up against him, rising up against the Lord's anointed, saying that the man that God has chosen was not good enough for him. He wants to take the throne for himself. When the son of a man, son of a man of God, becomes an enemy, then truly, in more than one way, you are in the wilderness. This is a wilderness time for David, not just where he is, but also a wilderness of his heart and his soul. There are no resources that will lift him up out of it. He says this is about as dark a place as you can be. Uh, Nothing there to help him. And he casts his spiritual hunger and his thirst, his desire to be fulfilled in the categories of the desert. It's like being in a desert for the soul, even while he is actually in the desert itself. The idea of wandering through the wilderness is extremely common in Scripture. And it's the most common way that God describes that his people are to go through this earth. They are to live this life as strangers and aliens. If you eliminate the Old Testament time where God's people were dwelling in the promised land, which is really something that points us forward to the new heavens and the new earth, save for that time, God's people are to go through this world and this life as strangers and aliens on the earth. And that is what we are called to here in this time between the two comings of Christ. We think of Our forefather in the faith, Abraham, a man who went through the world and spent much of his life within the borders of the promised land, but he lived within those borders as a stranger, not as a citizen there. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The writer of the Hebrews is saying that Abraham was looking forward to heaven. Abraham was looking forward to his eternal dwelling place. He wasn't putting all of his hope on what God had promised to him here on the earth. And that is the way that we are called to think about the earthly home which we have. That God has given us something better. We are called to look beyond it, knowing that here we have no lasting city, but we await what God will give to us in eternity. So it's not David's time ruling in Jerusalem, on the throne, in times of peace, to which the Christian can most relate in his or her own life. Rather, it is psalms like this that come forth from David's time in the wilderness. For ultimately, we are in the wilderness. For here we have, as, as Hebrews says, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So how do we seek that city and live in light of what God has promised to us, even as we go through this life wandering in the wilderness? Three ideas quickly as we consider this psalm together and then gather around the table. The first is that we need truth that runs deeper than emotions. We need truth that runs deeper than emotions. Secondly, we need to realize that our souls faint for God. 
They hunger for God. And finally, we need to realize and know that God provides feasting that satisfies our hunger and our thirst, even in the wilderness. Truth, fainting, and feasting. First then, truth. Truth that runs deeper than emotions. The psalm begins on a bedrock of truth, a promise, something to cling to, in all of life, and, and David says this, and, and it's clear, easy to remember, something for us to stick into our minds, to say it to ourselves when we go through life, when we face hard times, oh God, you are my God. Emotions are fluid. They change. Sometimes it feels as, as though they change as much as flowing water. From one moment to the next, we don't really know how we are going to feel. And that is because from one moment to the next, we don't really know what life is going to throw at us. So imagine being a person who cannot swim, a person who is deathly afraid of water, especially being in deep water. And imagine that you are forced to go into a body of water that you know nothing about. And just when you feel as though you are about to go underneath that water that you fear so much, your feet hit the bottom and you're able to stand on solid ground just before your head goes underneath the surface of the water. That is like the bedrock of truth that David uses to introduce this psalm. Oh God, you are my God. It is a bedrock of truth on which you can stand amidst the flowing waters of our emotions, amidst the flowing waters of all that this life can throw at us when we live in the midst of the wilderness. David recognizes that he and God are in a special relationship. They're in a covenant relationship. There is a connection there that he can call upon God and he can trust in him. Notice that there's two ways that this covenant runs. David gives to God all that he has. He worships him. He says, you are my God. In other words, David is saying, I am going to serve you with my life. But there's also this expectation that David has that God will act on behalf of him. I will serve you as my God and I trust that you will regard me as your good and faithful servant. This is the way that the covenant works. As we think about it relative to us, how do we know that God knows us in that kind of way and that he acts for us in that kind of way? We know that in and through Jesus Christ, the son of David, the greater David, the greater king who came from his line and who showed us just what God was doing all along. So when we hear the promise in, the, in Scripture, which is a central promise in all of Scripture, I will be your God and you will be my people, that is a promise that is founded upon and made sure upon the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So in the wilderness of this life, when emotions change when circumstances are brought into our life and we feel like we're plummeting under the surface of the water know and remember that God is your God in Jesus Christ he is that bedrock of truth upon which you can stand when it feels like life is going to swallow you up do you remember that God does not break his promises doesn't break any one of his promises do you know how ultimately God will fulfill all of these promises. He will do so in Jesus Christ. 
Because when we feel like God can't keep his word because we're in the wilderness, we feel like uh, God is not there and he has abandoned us, we need to remember that God the Son himself went out into the wilderness to be tried and tested in order to redeem us, in order to bear our sin and our shame, in order to go all the way to the cross to be a sacrifice for sin, to be raised on the third day for our justification in order to give us new life, in order to ascend into heaven and to give us the Holy Spirit so that we might know uh, and, call, and recall to our minds all that he has said to us. So be like David and cling to that truth, that truth that runs deeper than circumstances, that truth that runs deeper than emotions, that we all can say together, No matter what we face in this life, no matter what aspect of the wilderness you feel you're going through now or later, that you can say, Oh God, you are my God. When life is threatening to swallow you up, let that truth reign and run deeper than your feeling. Secondly, realize that our souls faint for God. It's been shown that after many years of malnourishment or undernourishment, somebody who who never has quite enough food, they are are not able to feel how hungry they are. You put them in front of a a feast, a banqueting table of, of tons of food, they're not even going to be able to know exactly how hungry they are and how much of a benefit that food can be to them. Similarly, we might say that someone who does not have their soul fed through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the word of God, for years and for years would not be able to notice just how undernourished it might be. And such is the story for many people who walk this earth. They do not know how badly they need to be filled and how much they need the grace of God to minister to their souls. David is one who knows this. He's sensitive to this. The the sense in which he knows that God is there or not there should strike us. That he feels that when he is not being fed and nourished in soul, it's something he feels right away. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. That word for earnestly could have the connotation of being early. Like David rises every morning and early he seeks the Lord because he knows each and every day that is what he knows and what he needs. So we ask ourselves, are we even spiritually sensitive enough like David to know that we faint for God? In order to do this, something that David points to is worship. Verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I have beheld your power and your glory. In other words, David says, I have seen the glory of God while worshiping him. While worshiping him, even in the presence of his people. This is the language of Psalm 42 as well. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? See, Psalm 42, the psalmist is in the wilderness. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. What does he remember? I remember how I would go to the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. 
So what we are to notice is that the scriptures set forth corporate worship as we come together to worship God as the time that God ordains for us to get a clearer picture of who he is, not in the sense of a a, a beatific vision of him or something like that, but growing in knowledge of who he is and growing in love towards him. We've said in recent weeks that worship is a heavenly experience, and that is what it, what it is. God brings the realities of heaven to us by the power of the Spirit, and we participate in that ongoing worship service that is always happening as the angels gather around the throne of God and they sing to him, holy, holy, holy. David remembers this time, and he remembers it when he is not really feeling like he has an emotional high. He's in the wilderness, and to him, things are not going well. So when that feeling is gone, that that, that feeling of beholding the power and the glory of God is not there, how does David deal with it? You could think, for instance, of a drug addict. They crave the high that their drug gives to them. And when they don't have that feeling and they feel like they need it, they will do anything to get a fix. So is that what the Psalms are teaching us here? That we need to remember the kind of emotional high that worship gives to us and it can make us feel so warm and thankful and that is the kind of fix that we need when things don't go well. Well, no, that's not what the Psalms teach us at all. Rather, what Psalm 63 teaches to us and other Psalms is that We need to hold on to truth in the midst of affliction. And David also teaches us that it is not the way that God makes us feel that gives us certainty, that gives us strength to go through the midst of the storm, but it is rather having God himself as our God, as our advocate, and we can hold on to that and cling to it. For all of our days in this life. That's precisely what verse 3 says in Psalm 63. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And I will praise you as long as I live. In the midst of affliction. In the midst of despair. In the midst of pain. The love of God is always better than life itself. In the good times. Things are going well feel like the blessings of God are just sort of being poured out upon you. You've come upon an easy time in life. It's even then that we need to remember your steadfast love is better than life. This promise is shown to us in the cross. God stamped his love for us at the cross. He said, this is how much I love you. I'm going to give you my only beloved son. The son who is faithful, the son who is righteous in ways that we could never be. And so we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not death, nor life, angels, nor demons, principalities, powers, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's not like trying to find a fix, trying to get back to the emotional high. It's having the strength and the faith to see the truth that no matter what circumstances bring your way, no matter what life throws your way as you go through the wilderness, can you hold on to this truth that God is your God and that not only do you need him and do you faint for him, but God also sets forward a feast for you in the midst of the wilderness. Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me 
In the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table. You walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. And because of that, I will fear no evil. The truth of God runs deeper than how we feel. It runs deeper than the circumstances of this life. Oftentimes, God uses the emotions that he has given to us that we might feel a closeness. It's a wonderful thing. But those things change, and we change, our hearts, our feelings, our minds can change. God doesn't change. He always remains the same. Cling to his truth and know that everything he says uh, is true and will be fulfilled. Psalm 42 again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is a, a gutsy faith, a gutsy faith that relies not on feelings or emotions, but rather one that stands upon the rock beneath the shifting waters of our own hearts. And we remember that God is with us. God is with us even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. So make the Lord your chosen portion in your cup, as we read last week in Psalm 16. Remember that as Psalm 36 says, with the Lord is the fountain of life. In his light do we see light. Remember the words of Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Hold on to these truths. Understand that our souls faint for God, but understand that God feeds our souls even in the midst of the wilderness. All of those things cling to. Cling to them. Remember them. Rejoice in them. And rejoice in our great and covenant God. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around the table, we ask that you would bless this time. And we ask that we would eat and drink in faith trusting in Christ, not in ourselves. We thank you for this table, for this sacrament. And Father, we ask that you would glorify yourself through our lives, through this church, and in this hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would take your blue Psalter hymnal and go to page 156. We will read where it starts to say, where it says formulary there, right towards the the middle of page 156 there in the second column. And let's uh, follow along together. And uh, when we pray at the end of our prayer, we will say uh, the Lord's Prayer together. Beloved in the Lord, hear the words of the Apostle Paul concerning the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In like manner also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. 
Wherefore, whosoever shall eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man prove or examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he that eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment unto himself, if he does not discern the body. Let us hear also a brief instruction concerning the purpose for which this sacrament was ordained. When our Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, he ordained this Holy Supper as a constant memorial and visible proclamation of his death. The Apostle Paul also teaches us that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. As we partake of this communion supper, therefore, we bear witness that our Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world, that he took upon himself our flesh and blood, and that he bore the wrath of God on the cross for us. We also confess that he came to earth to bring us to heaven, that he was condemned to die that we might be pardoned, that he endured the suffering and death of the cross that we might live through him, and that he was once forsaken by God that we might forever be accepted by him. The sacrament thus confirms us in God's abiding love and covenant faithfulness. By his holy supper, our Lord seals to our hearts the promises of God's gracious covenant and so assures us that we belong to his covenant family. Let us then be persuaded as we eat and drink that God will always love us and accept us as his children for the sake of his son. Our Lord promises, moreover, that as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are fed with his crucified body and shed blood. To this end, he gives us his life-giving spirit, through whom the body and blood of our Lord become the life-giving nourishment of our souls. Thus he unites us with himself and so imparts the precious benefits of his sacrifice to all who partake in faith. The holy sacrament is also a means of grace that unites us with one another in the bond of the Spirit. For the apostle says that we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Thus, even as he unites us with himself, he strengthens the bond of communion between us, his children. Finally, the remembrance of our Lord's death revives in us the hope of his return. Since he commanded us to do this until he comes, the Lord assures us that he will come again to take us to himself. Hence, as we commune with him now under the veil of these earthly elements, we are assured that we shall sometime behold him face to face and rejoice in the glory of his appearing. Our Lord Jesus will surely do what he has promised. Let us draw near to his table then, believing that he will strengthen us in faith, unite us in love, and establish us more firmly in the hope of his coming. Now unto him that loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom, to be priests unto his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, with one accord, we give you thanks for all the blessings of your grace. But most of all, we thank you for the unspeakable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We most humbly thank you that your Son came to us in human form, that he lived a perfect life on earth, that he died for us on the cross, and that he arose victoriously from the dead. We bless you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the gospel of reconciliation for the church universal, for the ministry and the sacraments of the church, for the blessed hope of everlasting life. We ask you, Father, 
to grant us your Holy Spirit that through this sacrament our souls may truly be fed with the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us the full assurance of your grace as we draw near to your holy table, filling our hearts with humble gratitude for all your mercies. Unite us more fully with our blessed Lord, and so enable us with, uh, and, so, and so also with one another. Enable us in newness of life to pledge ourselves in service to Christ and all your children. And lift our hearts to you, that in all the troubles and sorrows of this life, we may persevere in the living hope of the coming of our Savior in glory. Answer us, O God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you're able, please stand and let us say the words of the Apostles' Creed as we affirm our faith together. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Take your red hymnals. We'll sing together number 252. 252.